Hey, Bard listeners. If you live in New York City and love the public library, we need your help. This past fall, our public libraries sustained deep mid-year cuts that forced an end of seven-day service and reduction of our materials and programs. We're now facing more budget cuts for the coming fiscal year. Libraries across the city stand to lose $58.3 million in funding. If these cuts are not reversed, we may have to reduce materials and programming yet again, including further reductions to our days of service. As many as half of all New York City libraries would be open only five days a week. The good news is you can help. Send a letter to city leaders telling them that you support the library. It's easy. It only takes 30 seconds and you can do it now. If you live in Brooklyn, go to BKLYNlibrary.org slash standup, all one word, to fill out the form. If you live in any of the other boroughs, you can send a letter on behalf of Queens Public Library or New York Public Library. Learn how at investinlibraries.org. Thank you so much for your support. In our last episode of Building Brooklyn, we talked about Brooklyn's Chinese-American neighborhood in Sunset Park, which is centered around 8th Avenue. If you walk north on 8th Avenue, away from the epicenter of Chinese-American businesses, market stalls, and restaurants, eventually you'll get to 40th Street, between 7th and 8th Avenues, which also is called Finlandia Street. That first time I saw it, I was confused. What was Finlandia doing in a neighborhood that I knew of as predominantly Chinese and Latin American? Well, as it turns out, the street sign is one of the only remnants of a neighborhood once known as Fintown. I encourage them to get the street name changed. This is Robert Sasto. He's a native Sunset Parker and a Finn who grew up in and around the neighborhood in the waning days of its Finnishness. And I gave the speech during those festivities and I pointed to all those buildings and I, I remember being very expressive and pointing to all the buildings and saying, you see these buildings? Someday the Finns will all be gone and we won't have any of us left. And that sign is meant to remember, to remind people of what this neighborhood was. That street name on 40th Street remains the most obvious indicator, but as you walk around, you would see that a lot of the apartment buildings, about a dozen of them, are yellow brick, and they have these entrances centered around courtyards. These buildings have a pretty unique story, and I should know because I actually live in one. Krista, did you did you know that there was anything unusual about them when you moved in? Not really. When we first saw the apartment back in 2007, I just... You know, I knew it was in our price range, and I loved the light on the top floor. Were there Finnish people in the building? Were there flags flying everywhere or something? There was none of that. I think the first clue I had was someone in our building who was older mentioned to me, oh, you know, we don't have any Finns left in the building. And that's when I started to learn more about it, right? How the Finnish community built these buildings at the beginning of the 20th century and actually left their mark on New York City's housing system. So in this episode, we're stepping back in time to tell you what the neighborhood was, Fintown. I'm Adra Ducey. And I'm Krissa Corbett-Kavoris. You're listening to Building Brooklyn, a special mini-series on Borrowed, the podcast from Brooklyn Public Library. Let's set the scene. It's the late 1940s in Brooklyn, post-war. You're coming home after your job making women's shoes, or perhaps chewing gum, at Bush Terminal. It smells like spring. 
Ahead of you, rising over the crest of the hill, are a cluster of pale yellow brick houses. Your grandparents helped build those buildings, and three generations of your family have lived in those apartments. The voices you hear around you as you trudge up the hill are speaking a collection of languages unique to this pocket of the city. Here's how Robert Sasto remembers it. Everyone, it was, everyone was Finnish around the place, either Finnish or Norwegian, Swedish, Scandinavian. I was born in 1947 in that co-op. And in those days, you could hear Finnish on the street. There were 30 co-op buildings surrounding Sunset Park. And there was the Finnish hall, there was the newspaper, and there was a tailor. Uh, it was everything that you could imagine because they gravitated towards that neighborhood because they didn't have to learn English. Robert's family moved to Diker Heights when he was five, but his grandparents still lived in Finnish co-ops, and he spent a lot of his time with them. And particularly mumu, which is the Finnish word for uh, grandmother, and pop, which was we called papa. So it was mumu and pop, we called them. And they lived on the corner of 40th Street and 7th Avenue in a co-op building which had the nickname Giusela, which means tease, tea or teaser. And the, so we used to go there. They also had a courtyard. So we were there constantly all the time. Robert's memory is one of a big, gregarious Finnish social life full of dances and meeting halls and social clubs. They had. My mother was in the gymnastics club. Uh, my father played all the sports, and, and they were big on the dances. You have to imagine that there were hundreds of people going to the dances. And when I was a little kid, I would go with my parents. They'd take us into the, into the Amatra Hall. And there'd be, oh, it'd be wild party-like time. And there was a bar there, they'd be drinking. And then they'd go on, they'd be, and they'd be doing the, uh, the hoopah, they called it. It was like the tango. These social venues, the socialist clubs, the gymnastics clubs, the churches, this would be where Finns would find their footing, share resources and experiences in this new culture they found themselves in, but also where they'd keep the fabric of their own culture intact and their politics. Every community, there were two halls. There was always the regular Finn Hall and then the socialist, communist, left-leaning hall. There's sort of a, a running joke. If you see three Finns walking down the road, they're on their way to, you know, form uh, two church congregations, a uh, socialist club, a uh, sports, sports club. And within all of those things, there was often division. That's Joanna Chop, an archivist with the Finnish American Heritage Center at Finlandia University in Hancock, Michigan. We talked to her to get a bigger picture of Finnish life in America. She mentioned that politics and religion were not only a big part of Finnish American life, but also is what was fueling their immigration in the early 1900s. New York in the late 1800s was an immigrant town, of course. So what pushed the Finns to leave Finland was not dissimilar to other European migrations. Here's Joanna Chop again. So there was a lot of um, political upheaval for quite a long time. Add to that that there was a famine going on in the 1860s. For a short period of time, there was even the threat of conscription into the Russian military. So all of these things helped to fuel immigration. 
Chap also noted that though many Finns came to the United States to escape an unstable country in the late 1800s and early 1900s, there were Finns in America much earlier than that, as far back as the 1630s in New Jersey and Delaware in what was then called the New Sweden Colony. The oldest log cabin still in existence is in um, New Jersey, built by a Finn. Um, there was one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence who could trace his ancestry to the New Sweden colony. So Finns have been in the U.S. for a long time. And here's where the connection to housing comes in, Adjua. The first log cabin is significant because Finns have been, for a long time, skilled carpenters and builders. So the Finns didn't just move to Sunset Park. They actually built it. Here's Robert Sasto again. So when they came here, they all picked up a hammer and they got a job. And then they decided amongst themselves to build the co-op buildings so that they could have a good apartments to live in. And they did it in their form, which was called, you know, which was the co-op form. Everybody would share equally, buy a share and have an apartment. Robert talked about where this came from, this cooperative building practice. It was baked into the fabric of life back in Finland, too. The Finns actually have a word for it. I, I think it's, I always mispronounce it, toku, toku, something like that. What it meant was, and they did this in Finland all the time, all the men would get together and they'd build a house, literally within a few days. And it would be a major community event. And the women would all get together. And at the end, they would all have a big party and eat and drink. And then the next time that someone got married or needed a house, they all went together and did it. They did it in the cooperative form. The Finns, especially in the U.S., if there was a chance to be cooperative, they took it. Joanna Chop again. There were cooperative bakeries, cooperative dairies. I think there was even like a cooperative uh, gas company. If you've lived in New York long enough, or if you read the real estate section of the New York Times, you know what a co-op is. It's a housing model where you buy a share in an organization in order to live in the building and contribute to its upkeep. In New York City, co-ops are an institution. Today, over half of all co-ops in the United States are in the New York area, and about three quarters of apartments in Manhattan are co-ops. But very few people know that some of the first co-ops in the country were in Sunset Park, and they were built by the Finns. In the first decade of the 20th century, a few dozen Finnish builders and tradespeople formed the Finnish Building Association and began buying land and building single-family homes, which were then purchased at cost by Finnish families. By the teens, the Finns started thinking bigger. In 1915, 16 Finnish families scraped together $500 each to purchase a lot on 43rd Street between 8th and 9th Avenues and build a handsome four-story apartment building that became known as Alku, which means new beginnings in Finnish. Completed in 1916, Alku became the very first nonprofit housing cooperative apartment building in America, and it is still standing today. At their height, there were more than 30 Finnish co-op buildings, all centered on the blocks around the park itself. They were radical for how luxurious they felt in a working-class neighborhood. In 1935, a reporter noted in the Brooklyn Daily Eagle that there were saunas in some of the early Finnish co-ops, and that they were so well-built that they, quote, 
look as if they would be standing after whole areas of speculative apartments have collapsed. These have withstood the test of time. You have tall ceilings, big windows, uh, spacious rooms. They weren't your tenements that you saw on the Lower East Side or even in Brooklyn. I mean, they were well built. These were real carpenters who built these buildings. Robert mentions the Lower East Side and the tenements. And this is important, too, because what the Finns did is created a model for working class immigrants to live in their own owned homes, to be free of rapacious landlords or crowded in unlivable conditions, but also a model which was sustainable for the community. Right, because these buildings were non-profit housing cooperatives, which meant that when a member who lived in Alku or Alku Toinen or any other Finnish co-op was ready to move on, they would be selling that membership back to the corporation for what they put in, and the co-op would then sell that membership to another owner. There was a really rich kind of leftist socialist tradition among the Finnish immigrant community in the United States um, in the early 1900s. This is Esther Wong, a writer in New York City who, a few years ago, received a fellowship from the Asian American Writers Workshop to cover Sunset Park. She wrote about the Finns in Sunset Park in an article titled Bread and Butter Socialism, A History of Finnish American Co-ops. We'll put a link to that in our show notes. According to Esther, the Finnish version of socialism was all about supporting fellow immigrants. It was about how can we support our families? How can we support our community? And the way that they did it was through the co-op model, right? You know, today we kind of see co-op models as an alternative, right? And one that people are really interested in. Can we apply the co-op model to create sort of these newer new economies, right, that are less, less exploitative, that, that support communities that they're in, um, that support workers, right? And it was really interesting to me that this model had already been done, right, and quite successfully by groups of immigrants to the United States from Europe, not just Finland, right, but many different European countries. And, you know, it just made me think, what can we, what can we learn from what they did? The reality is that today, the co-ops that the Finns built and co-ops across the city are no longer a reliable option for working class immigrants who are looking to buy homes. They're too expensive. Market forces have just dramatically transformed what's possible in New York City, in, in most urban spaces for working class families. I, I just out of curiosity today, I looked it up the the cost of apartments in the the first Alku building, right? The the first building that was built by this immigrant community and the most recent apartment that sold, I think was a three bedroom, one bath, and sold for more than six hundred thousand dollars. I can't imagine, you know, many working class immigrant families being able to to make that happen. Right. Um, being able to afford that. What I kind of took away, though, from my research and from writing the story is that the exact model that they employed probably wouldn't work today. But the fact that they were able to do it kind of, you know, it made me think there are if, if we just are creative. Right. If we have the vision, you know, there are ways to make truly affordable housing happen for people 
of all income levels. Um, we just have to have the will, right? And the idea. There are still cooperative grocery stores and other cooperative organizations that work for immigrants in New York City by keeping costs down and encouraging neighbors to help each other. Just look at the numbers of mutual aid groups in the city that popped up during the pandemic. A challenge we have for our listeners is to do a little research on whether there's a neighborhood group near you or a community bank, cooperative store, or lending system that encourages neighbors to support each other. See if there's a way you can help your neighbors. But to finish the story of the Finns, as with many immigrant communities, after a few generations, they moved on from Sunset Park. Here's Robert again. And this was taking place in the 80s. Uh, They were either dying off, moving to Florida, or the young were going away and not coming back. Today, there are communities of Finnish people, some of them still speaking Finnish, in Florida and the Midwest, but they're mostly gone from Brooklyn. Robert is trying to make sure that people living in Sunset Park today know a little bit about that history of the Finns and their cooperative lifestyle. Recently, we have plaques going up on some of the dozen remaining Finnish co-ops in my neighborhood. And I have been amazed at the positive response I've gotten from all the buildings, from the old Finn co-ops. All the people, particularly the young people, so appreciate the history and the significance. I think there is a trend toward people wanting to know more about their neighborhoods and the people who built it. Yes, exactly. And I think that's part of what I love about this story. The Finnish legacy can still be found here today, not only in the physical buildings, but in this community spirit and the cooperation that made it possible for an immigrant community to survive and flourish. It's something Esther Wong mentioned, too, that Sunset Park is still a place with very strong and very active immigrant communities. No matter... If you come from Finland, right, or you come from mainland China or Hong Kong, you know, there are places where you can move and you can establish yourself, which is not to say they're not without their faults. You know, Sunset Park for decades has been that place for successive waves of of immigrant communities. And I think that's a beautiful thing. And I hope that never changes. Building Brooklyn is a mini-series from Brooklyn Public Library's Borrowed Podcast. It's produced by Virginia Marshall with help from Fritzi Bodenheimer, Jennifer Prophet, Merrill Friedman, and Robin Lester-Kenton. This episode was written by Krista Corbett-Kavoris. Our music composer is Billy Libby. Borrowed is brought to you by Brooklyn Public Library and is hosted by me and Adjua Aduse. You can find a transcript of this episode at our website, Special thanks to Robert Sasto, Esther Wong, and Joanna Chop at the Finnish American Heritage Center at Finlandia University. Be sure to check back next week for the final episode of Building Brooklyn, the story of another neighborhood told in reverse, Canarsie. When I got to school there, I think I was a month or two in when someone told me that a black family had tried to move into Canarsie and gotten burned out the year or two before. For me, it was like, okay, watch yourself out here. I didn't want to be out there after dark. That's next time on Building Brooklyn.